Hello and welcome to the Get MKD podcast. My name is Marcus K. Dowling. As promised, I've seen you soon before I saw you later. Welcome. I'm a creator, curator, innovator, and iconoclast. On this show, in 30 minutes or less, we solve for a future we love by obsessing over the past and appreciating the present. In this episode, we discuss the need for black and brown America to unite. Now that we've set the stage, here's a bit of backstory. I've been a fan of Latin, Latinx, Latin-derived, Central Caribbean music, Caribbean-American music for probably 30 years. I'm 42, so that'll put it around, I was around 12 years old. Around that time, there was this music called Freestyle which is kind of the alien child of salsa, bachata, merengue, hip hop and R&B, and electro house. Uh, largely popularized out of New York City in uh, largely Dominican communities, largely Puerto Rican communities. The, the, the children, I have to say, the children of Fania Records the label in the 1960s and 1970s that birthed uh, pop mainstream salsa culture. You have a lot of people like Hector Lavoe and Willie Colon, as well as Celia Cruz, who are part of that legacy. So I grew up loving this music because it combined all these sounds that I really enjoyed. Uh, my mom had a couple of Fania records. Uh, she maybe had one or two Hector Lavoe and Willie Colon collaborative records in the early 1970s. Uh, they were they were part of the music that I spun. Uh, I'd listen to them along with like Al Green and Isaac Hayes and all that other stuff. Then on top of that, you add into that uh, the the disco stuff that my mom was into. So Santa Esmeralda's "Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood" was a big song in my childhood. It was one of my favorite disco songs. So the the Afro Latin space musically was something I was very aware of. Uh, as well, I grew up and currently live in Washington, D.C., which is uh, surprisingly, for most people, a um, multi-ethnic community. Most people know D.C. as either Chocolate City at 70% Black in the late 1970s and early 1980s, or they know it as the space where gentrification has dramatically shifted and altered the population. However, if you look at D.C. and northern southern Maryland and parts of northern Virginia, the DMV of sorts, the metro map for the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Association, in that area, which is about 4,000 square miles, uh, one in three of those people is between the ages of 21 and 40. And as far as that population, there are people that are representative of 15 different Central and South American nations within that population, as well as 10 African countries and most of the Caribbean. And 54% uh, of the people who live in this region, this 4,000 square mile region, are from Latin America or somewhere on the African continent. So there's clearly an Afro, as in not African American, but Afro as an African merely and Latin, Latino, Latinx, Latina, 
population that is vibrant, uh, though small, it's vibrant. There are 15 different countries. There are 10, 15 different Central and South American nations and 10 different African countries. So that's 25 different nations. So if you're looking at the world being about, that's like one-sixth or one-seventh of the nations of the world represented in a 4,000 square mile space. So it's a very vibrant, if not small, vibrant minority population. So as well, for people who are aware of my writing career and my career as a uh, public relations person, did a lot of work in the Moonbatone subgenre in EDM between 2008 and 2018. So that was a decade of my life. Uh, Moonbatone was a blend of tropical bass sounds. So that's everything from African polyrhythms to Dominican dimbo. Along with that, you would throw in reggaeton, you would throw in cumbia, and you would throw in hip hop and soul. And these bass sounds were then blended with uh, the electro house familiar to EDM of the era. And Moombatone emerged. And if you listen to anything from Drake to Justin Bieber to stuff now from people like Jay Balvin and Bad Bunny, you are hearing the sounds that were filtered into the American marketplace in this modern era from a sound that was invented by Dave Nada, who is a EDM producer who grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is one of those communities that I spoke about earlier. So if you came from somewhere else, or if you were not aware of DC as a region and all these things kind of emerged, you'd be wondering how Chocolate City birthed that. But ultimately it's not because it was Chocolate City at all. It's because there's this thriving multi-ethnic population. So in relation to this uh, episode, uh, for two years prior to the pandemic, my friend uh, DJ Pedro Knight, who's my mentee, and uh, his friend Walter Alvarado, uh, we came together and developed a, a party concept called adobo. Uh, it's the flavor of the DMV. And the mission of the party and its ancillary social uh, justice measures was to preserve, celebrate, and develop Afro-Latino culture in the DC metropolitan area while fighting for the advancement and empowerment of brown and black communities around the world. Uh, Adobo's done everything from assisting families in El Salvador with numerous natural disasters that have occurred, to as well working with a school there to outfit the school with uh, working public bathrooms. Uh, locally, we have supported a number of measures. Uh, we were the entertainment during the uh, the, the long-lived DC go-go group doing their on-the-streets protest during 2020, during the Black Lives Matter movement. So ultimately, the issue regarding Black and Brown people coming together has been an intrinsic part of my life for just over a decade and looking at, if you look at the next 10 years of my life, probably two decades. So I feel very passionately about it. Uh, it's a thing that in America overall, outside of the realm of just plain Washington DC is fascinating in the sense that on election night, I'll never forget, there was a group of Cubans 
in Miami who are celebrating Donald Trump by playing salsa songs on stage and chanting Donald Trump's name. Uh, within the Latin community, within the Central American uh, community, there is a split that at a time where black people are also experiencing problems in America, it's problematic because minority populations oftentimes should depend upon each other when put in blighted situations. Uh, it's been a part of American history since the beginning of time uh, where divergent ethnic communities are able to look to each other for strength, solace, and development. However, between Blacks and Latinos, between Black and Brown America, there's an essential split. Uh, when you watch that thing on election night, you're like, okay, so Pedro Knight, very light-skinned El Salvadoran DJ. And people look at him, and I talk to my friends about it sometimes, and they're like, well, isn't he like one of those Latino guys who's cool with white people and not cool with black people? And I'm like, that's not the case. So he's kind of an outlier. And that makes what we do at Adobo very much an outlier thing. In the sense that also because he's from DC, the DC metropolitan area, it's chocolate city. So there's no way that you could be kind of like anti dark skinned black and brown people and live here. But that's not the nation at whole. Uh, Afro Latino uh, Latin Latinx people in America make up one fourth of America's Latino population. And these are typically because they're Afro Latino, there's a notion of African ancestry as part of their history. So therefore they tend to be darker skinned than their fairer skinned ancestors who have European heritage because Spain, because explorers coming over to strange countries and claiming these countries for their European home bases. And then people from those spaces coming into these spaces in Central and South America and making those populations have a greater European and Eurocentric base. So it's just a fascinating split there. And it radicalizes when you end up with someone like Donald Trump in office. Because ultimately, so much of his rise is based in antagonism that's based on people's skin colors and antagonism that's based upon people's ethnic backgrounds and antagonism that's based upon largely a white hegemonic power structure. So it just gets hard. And the frustration is that with Trumpism still being prevalent in the United States and with voting figures, if you look at them, if you sit down and you actually take a look uh, from this past election, I don't like to look at any numbers from this past election just because of the nature of COVID and the nature of voter fraud conversations. All of these numbers to me are easily debatable, so therefore we will not use them. But it can be stated that that split that we talk about in the Latin community is troublesome to a lot of people because on the black side of the ledger, you have almost uniform distrust and dislike 
of the conservative Republican agenda. So moving forward, we're ultimately looking at a situation where with America's two most significant population-wise ethnic communities, there's the potential that there is a fundamental split that could cause the advocacy for minority rights across the board in America to be slowed. And this, of course, is a time where ideally these are things that should not be the case. So in regards to thinking about where this goes next and how we evolve this, there's a couple of things that we'd like to definitely bring up and have a deeper conversation about. And we'll do that after this commercial break. Interested in recording a podcast like Get MKD? Well, it's as easy as pressing a button on your phone. Just like I did, you can download Anchor, a free app with creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Everything you need to make a podcast is available in one place. Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. And we're back. So I think the, the one fundamental thing that I'd like to definitely take a look at, this is an issue that I could have a full hour on or two hours, three hours. But one of the fundamental things I wanted to take a look at to break down and kernelize to a, you know, a more molecular level is the idea that America as a country is more willing to accept things that are black first, brown second, as opposed to things that are brown first, black second for radicalized change. I say this only because in my time in Mumaton and studying that movement and working within that movement, uh, music is a great pop cultural like equalizer. So everybody likes music and everybody's thought about it. And everybody has music of which they are particularly fond. So it's the idea that in working in Mumbaton, it happened at the exact same time that the trap movement occurred in EDM. Trap's actually a little bit later than Mumbaton, maybe by eight or nine months. The Flostradamus original Don remix, which takes a loop from the Trapaholics mixtape series, the Damn, son, where'd you find that? Uh, came a little bit after Dave Nada's OG Mumbaton record and the, uh, the Riverside City Samson remix. It's a fascinating thing to consider. Trap gets in and gets on and becomes popular almost immediately. If for no other reason then black people's familiar, the familiarity people have with black derived music in America is intrinsic to its, the nation's history. The idea of hearing black music, adapting black music, and then commercializing black music as a person who works in country music, and that's a hot button issue in country right now. Is in, it's, it's, it's intrinsically a part of how we have commercialized the music industry. 
insofar as regards to salsa, merengue, bachata, all of these other genres that have definite Latin heritage, be they from Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic or otherwise. We see them, we hear them, and every 10 years, we re-indoctrinate them into our culture. So I worked for Remezcla, which is the leading Latin culture site for three years. And one of the more intriguing parts about being a black person who knows about 125 words of Spanish and can conjugate a couple of verbs working there was to learn the idea that brown people protect brown music in a way that is defined by the idea that they want to be other than black people's cultural heritage with the music. Now there are people who talk about Fania being owned by white people and having historical lineage and heritage that ties back to light-skinned Latinos or white people and how that has politicized a lot of that heritage of that music within that label's tradition. But the one thing that I will say about salsa, the one thing I will say about merengue bachata, the one thing I'll even say about mumbaton too, is that the genre was never sold in such a way that it was immediately touchable by white culture without needing, absolutely needing, a brown person to be positioned as fundamentally the leader and the one person past the post in that culture or the two or three people past the post in that culture. So they still have a large hand to play at the top end of the earning structure. Whereas as far as for black artists, when rap is sold out, when R&B is sold out, when folk Americana roots, blues, rock, jazz are sold out, the people who end up typically at the top or typically with the most economic stake in the sounds that black people make are typically white people. So when you're looking at extrapolating that to black and brown people working together, there's fundamentally a difference that I feel like the only way to solve, and this is again something that we tried very hard to do with the Dobo, we still try very hard to do with the Dobo, is to make sure that at points where you can change the pace of inflection and you can change the story of the music and you can change the story of the culture, the places where, say, on the Latin side of things, one or two or three get through and have space at the top, I can say that for this area 
Adobo has done more for more artists and creatives and young people and business people who are of Afro-Latino, Caribbean, and related space cultures than probably anybody else has done in this area in probably 50 years. And that's a fact. And insofar as black people and people of African descent who are African-American within America, uh, you can look at a guy like DJ Bo, you can look at somebody like DJ K Meta, you can look at even me, <laughs> and we're all over the place. We're doing a thing where we are insulated towards our rise towards the top by our brown brethren. So when you see somebody like DJ Bo emerge, when you see even crazily enough, a comedian like Martin Amini, who is of Latin Middle Eastern heritage, perform on stage at the Kennedy Center with DJ Bo, who is of Cameroonian heritage. There's something fascinating going on there. That is a template for where America can head. I say this only in the larger sense of thinking about where this goes, because within the next four to eight years, we're more than likely going to have our first Latinx and female president in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And her rise will largely be blocked for and protected by black male and female politicians in the United States government that will open that door, which is fascinating to consider. The Democratic Party at the top end is populated by a number of long-term, vetted, well-respected black politicians. Even deeper, the door that gets opened after AOC is the president is largely for younger black politicians, people like Lauren Underwood of Illinois, who, if they want to have upward mobility within their party and within their aspiration, will be looking for a brown woman to seal off the door from the traditional white power structure that has governed America for almost three centuries. With, of course, exception. And using that to springboard their way to the top. So I say this only to say, I wanted to make sure that we had this topic as one of the, the first 13 episodes. Because foundationally, um, it's an important part of appreciating the past, observing the present, and obsessing over the future. Because where this all heads, in this structure, being what it is, is a fascinating place where the very topic of this show becomes an American reality. Though it is not American reality right now, and though there are obvious flaws and frustrations that are tied to Light-skinned versus dark-skinned Latinos. Light-skinned and dark-skinned Latinos having differing opinions of Black people. 
black people having differing opinions of light-skinned Latinos and dark-skinned Latinos. And carrying that across socioeconomic lines as well. But ultimately, overall, where this all heads is a place where none of that matters on some level. And it's people getting to the place that history has deigned will occur with a manner of respect and nuanced understanding of what needs to happen in order to bridge those gaps is essential. And hopefully with episodes like this, we can begin those conversations that need to occur. Because Adobe is probably not coming back until the summer or fall, maybe the winter, depending on vaccines. So the public spaces are going to be there. But the private moments where you could have conversations and think about the necessity and intrinsic need for black and brown unity within the United States should be tantamount to many other things that you're possibly attempting or not attempting to do. So if you're looking to find this podcast, you can find the Get Him Kitty podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and Anchor.fm, uh, anywhere you're looking for podcasts across the uh, podcast universe. So if you're looking for me, you can find me at, at Marcus with a C-K Dowling, D-O-W-L-I-N-G, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in and... I'll see you soon before I see you later. Thanks for listening.